With that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We just thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord God, that we are here to worship you. We're here to hear your word, be in community and fellowship. We thank you for the rain that we had recently. and We thank you for the sun, the heat, and the humidity, because, Lord, you are here with us, and we're thankful. Please be with us today as we hear your word. May your Holy Spirit teach us. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Now, fashion, I don't know how many of you are into fashion, but fashion often defines and captures a generation, right? Fashion. Um, I'm a child of the 80s. I don't know how many of you would describe yourself as a child of the 80s. And uh, a generation, the 80s, was a generation known for its fashions, right? Fashions such as these. Any of these familiar to you? Back in the 80s, you had the colorful uh, clothing. You had that kind of look. And then there was like the 80s goth look. That was me. Just kidding. It wasn't me. I knew some people like that, but the 80s had its own fashion, and it was kind of funny when later on you saw how some 80s fashion was trying to come back in style. I was thinking, man, I should have kept my old clothes for my kids, you know? No, they wouldn't have worn it, but, um, but 80s was known for its fashion, but I don't know if there was anything more iconic about the 80s fashion as the members-only jackets. How many of you remember the members-only jackets? How many of you had a members-only jacket? Yeah, right? That, you know, the members-only jacket kind of like defined and gave a, a, represented the 80s generation, right? The jacket, there wasn't much to the jacket, right? It was a very lightweight jacket. It felt kind of like not like, like the best quality or anything. It had its like a definitive style, the, the elastic waistband on the end of the jacket. It had these, these flap things on the shoulders that I have no idea what they were for, but it was just there. So I don't know what it was, but I think what defined the members-only jacket was its, its, um, its description, its label, its identity, how it was marketed, the members-only jacket. Now, I had a members-only jacket as a kid, and I kind of think back, and I wonder, was that really an authentic members-only jacket, or was it like a Korean knockoff? I'm not quite sure, right? I think members-only was spelled correctly, and it was in the right place, so I think it was authentic, right? But what was most important to me was not whether it was Uh, authentic or not, but that I believed it was authentic. I had a members-only jacket. It was stated right there on the left breast pocket. And I think that was the genius of the marketing. The name members-only. Because the name members-only implied that it was exclusive. Not everybody has a members-only jacket. But if you have that jacket, ooh, you're part of the membership, right? You're part of the members only. And that really defined a lot of the 80s style. Very, very definitive, very kind of class kind of idea of fashion. 
but it implies that sense of exclusiveness if you wear that jacket. But of course, members only isn't the only one that uses that kind of uh, label of jacket, right? The NFL, if you are an NFL player and if you reach the peak, the elite of the elite level of NFL players, you get into the Hall of Fame. And if you enter into the Hall of Fame, you get a gold jacket, right? There are the picture of the the, the members of the St. Louis Rams who won the first uh, Super Bowl for the Rams, you know, they, those are all members of the Hall of Fame. They get to wear the gold jacket. In golf, I don't know if any of you are golf fans. I'm not a golf fan, so I can only know one, name one person on these pictures. But if you win the Masters, you get a green jacket. Not everybody gets a jacket, it's if you win, you, come, you get part of an exclusive membership. You get to wear that jacket. Well, when it came to being the people of God, in other words, you are inheriting the inheritance of the kingdom of God, the Jews wore the quote-unquote members-only jacket. They were the chosen people of God, right? In their mind, they were the chosen people of God. God's promise to Abraham that he will have a people unto himself. He will give them a land. He will make them a nation. And through them, he will bless the nations. And all the nations will be blessed by them. Even despite their idolatry, even despite their adulterous ways, and they turned their backs on God throughout history, God still regarded them as God's chosen people. So through them, God's plan of salvation will come. But throughout history, if you look at throughout human history, social barriers arise whenever people come together, right? Whenever societies form, social barriers often come up. And a lot of these social barriers happen based on maybe economics, race, ethnicity, cultures, gender, all these sort of things. These barriers end up coming up whenever people come together and they form societies. We know if you you pay attention to the news and stuff, discussion, these kind of barriers have been very controversial and popular topics today, right? These social barriers that happen in our society, in our culture, whether it's race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, barriers have always come up. And perhaps there's no stronger barrier that, that existed between people than the one that was between Jews and Gentiles. There was a social barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were considered unclean. They regarded them, the Jews regarded the Gentiles as dogs, right? Unclean animals. We're talking about street dogs, those wild dogs who come and scrape and you know, maybe find in, a, in an alleyway in, in the dirt, right? Or in, in the dirty uh, trash and stuff like that. And particularly the religious leaders saw that the Gentiles perceived them as unclean. And so this became a, an ingrained cultural mindset that separated the Jews and the Gentiles, But what they failed to acknowledge is that God did not intend for the Jews to always be the only ones to, quote-unquote, wear the jacket or see themselves as being the only ones who can, quote-unquote, wear 
the jacket. They failed to see that the hope of salvation was going to come to the Gentiles. That was God's intention. That the unclean that they saw would be able to see salvation, will experience the hope of salvation. So with that in mind, turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Or pick it up in verse 24. Verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, know of it yet. He could not escape notice. Now let's set the stage here for a second. Jesus and the disciples have been traveling, right? And everywhere they travel, wherever they go, they're greeted by the crowds. They're greeted by the multitudes of people. When they, ent- when they retreated, or if you remember some messages ago, when they retreated to get rest, who was waiting for them? The crowds of people. They recognized Jesus and the disciples were coming. And Jesus looked out and saw the crowds and the multitudes waiting for him. And he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so they left that multitude. And if you remember, Jesus, and they, they crossed the sea again. And Jesus walked on the water, if you remember that. But when they arrived again, people, crowds of people, the multitudes immediately recognized Jesus and the disciples. And they were there waiting for Jesus. So if you see, if you've been following us in Mark, Jesus' reputation continues to grow. People are recognizing. They're hearing of what he's doing. And they're waiting for Jesus to come. But while this is happening, the heat is getting a little bit hotter for Jesus. We saw last week the Pharisees and the scribes, they traveled from Jerusalem to go to Jesus. Scrutinize him. The heat is coming up. The disdain for Jesus is growing hotter and hotter. So Jesus, he understands. He understands his mission, but he understands his destination. He is the promised Messiah, the one the Jews had been waiting for. But at the same time, he knows the destination. He knows while he is the king of kings, He must first be the Lamb of God. He knows that while he needs to prove his case, lay out the case for him as the Messiah, he also knows that he must first be led to the cross. So Jesus is constantly tempering the the enthusiasm of who he is with, I know I am first going to the cross. The people cannot proclaim me as king before I get to the cross. So I'm setting this stage of, if you're following us in Mark, all this is taking place. Jesus' popularity, the people are coming to see him, but at the same time, he knows it's not time for him. He must first go to the cross. So here in this passage, Jesus is traveling to a Gentile region, modern-day Lebanon, and he goes to Tyre. And we're not given a clear reason why Jesus goes here. But Mark notes that Jesus intended to enter into the house secretly. It's interesting. He intended to go there without anyone noticing. However, that didn't happen. 
people noticed Jesus. Verse 25, but after hearing him, hearing of him, a woman who was lit, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. Now, if you've been following us in Mark, this scene may seem very familiar with some previous encounters with Jesus. If you remember when Jesus left the Decapolis area after he had exercised the legion of demons out of the man, he left that area and he went. And who was he encountered by? Jairus' synagogue official. Jairus' synagogue official goes before Jesus, falls on his knees before, falls at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter who's going to die? You remember that. And so Jesus agreed to follow Jairus to his home to heal his daughter. But what happened along the way? There was a woman who was hemorrhaging, who had a, a blood issue for 12 years. And she heard of Jesus. And she said, if I just, I don't need much. I don't need his attention. If I can just touch the hem of his robe, if I can touch the edge of his cloak, that's enough. I'll be healed. This scene has a little, is a little different, right? Instead of a synagogue ruler who comes before Jesus, bows at his feet, here comes a Gentile woman, perhaps the most opposite person, comes to Jesus kneels before his feet and begs him, can you please, my daughter is plagued with demons, can you please come and free her? Instead of going to her home like he did with Jairus, what does he do? Instead, he simply declares, he acknowledges her, and what does he say? Go your way. Your little girl is free. The demon is free. Now, why didn't Jesus go with her as like, she, like he did with Jairus to her house? Well, if you remember in the previous messages, the Pharisees, they took issue with the disciples, right? What are some of the things they, they notice about the disciples? They did not hold to the elders' traditions. Remember, the disciples were found picking the heads of grain on the Sabbath day. And they said, Jesus, why do your followers, why do your disciples go against the elders' traditions of, of this work on the Sabbath? If you remember the previous one, when they saw the disciples eating without washing their hands like the tradition of the elders, they said, Jesus, how come your followers don't wash their hands like the tradition of the elders. That would be considered unclean. 
Yet Jesus, they had no case against Jesus. They could not claim that Jesus would be unclean. If Jesus was to go to a Gentile woman's home, he would be considered, that would be considered an act of being unclean. Jesus doesn't give them even an opportunity. He simply declares to the woman, go, your daughter's free. Interesting. There's a controversial exchange between Jesus and this woman we'll get to in a moment. Let's continue in Mark. And again, Jesus went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. So Jesus travels again to, out of Tyre and into the region of the Decapolis. Again, a Gentile, predominantly Gentile region. And remember what happened in the area of Decapolis. Jesus freed the man who was possessed by legion, or the many demons there. But once again, when Jesus arrives, he is greeted by multitudes of people, the crowds of people who are there to Jesus, and they go entreating him, begging him, Jesus, can you please heal me, heal these people? Again, a constant theme, a consistent theme and message that Mark is giving us throughout his, his, uh, his gospel, that wherever Jesus goes, there's people begging him, entreat him, can you heal me? Can you heal this person? Can you cast these demons out of my loved one? It goes on. And he took him aside. Jesus took this person aside from the multitude by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, if, if, I knew I was going to stumble on this. Ephaphah. I said it really good all week long. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well, and he makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Now here's where things get a little bit bizarre, right? The crowd, there's a particular person that Mark highlights and brings out. Jesus heals this man in a very bizarre way. I did a variation of this to my kids. You know, I would lick my fingers and I'd put it in their ears. You know what that's called? Wet willy? Have you ever had that happen? Okay, I'm the only dad who did that to their kids, right? Okay, little did they know I was trying to help them hear, hear better. I saw this pastor and said, maybe I can help them hear better by doing that. Okay, no, that's not true, right? They were disgusted by it, obviously, right? So, but here's where the bizarre things Jesus does. He comes. He comes, puts his, ear, his fingers in the man's ear. He spits a swimming into his hand and with his saliva touches the man's tongue. A bit odd way to heal, right? 
If one of you was feeling sick, you say, Pastor Mike, I'm not feeling well. Got this congestion. You know, I, I don't feel good. And I'd say, oh, the Lord wants to heal you. Come on over. You come right up here. And if I put my fingers into your ears, it's going to be a little freaky, right? You're like, what is this guy doing? And if I started to spit in my hand, as soon as I did that, you're going to be like, COVID alert. Hey, you know, you got to stay away from me. You're like, uh, I'll take some NyQuil. I'll see you later. You know, I don't need the prayer, right? But in those days, it was understood or some people would believe that the saliva, there's some kind of healing power or property in, even in the saliva, depending upon if this was a powerful person. Some people believe that the life spirit was in the saliva itself. The life force of a person was in that saliva. Now, obviously, we don't believe that. We don't believe that today. But you can imagine, if I did that to you, you'd be like freaked out, right? But why is Jesus healing this way? We have not seen him do this yet. He would either touch the person, they're healed. He would declare the person healed, and they'd be healed. Why does he do it this way? Well, we're not given a clear reason. But perhaps this was meaningful to the man who could not hear and could not speak that Jesus would touch the very areas of need on this man. He put his fingers in his ears of the man who could not hear. He touched the tongue of the man who could not speak. Undoubtedly, this man felt Jesus touch his area of weakness, his area of need. He definitely saw Perhaps in his mindset, the life force of him is touching his tongue. Certainly, he's so close to them that he can feel his breath and see Jesus look up and say, be opened. I don't know if you ever stood real close to a person before. So close that you could feel their breath on them. A little uncomfortable, I must say right? I don't know about you. I like my personal space. I don't want to feel people talking to me, right? But I'm sure it was so close that he can feel the deep sigh of Jesus be opened, see his lips say it. And what happens? His ears open. He's able to speak. Perhaps that symbolic act, while not necessary for Jesus, right? The means in which he healed was not necessary for him to be healed. We've seen him heal in different ways. But perhaps that symbolic message was received loud and clear for this man who could not hear, who could not speak. That the life force, which we know of the Holy Spirit, heals the man. Whatever the reason, those who were with them were astonished. They were greatly astonished by what Jesus had done. And Jesus commanded them, don't say anything to anybody. But they couldn't keep, they couldn't contain it. The more he says, don't say anything to anybody, the more they spread it out and they shared and they proclaimed it widely. Now you look at these stories, what is the significance of these two encounters. What's the big picture? It's important to not lose sight of the forest from the trees, right? You know that saying? 
It's, not, it's important not to lose sight of the bigger picture in the midst of all these isolated, miraculous moments. What's the big picture? What do we get from these two stories? Well, let's go back to the Syrophoenician mother and her exchange with Jesus. Now, many view Jesus' response to the woman as controversial, right? Look at what Jesus says to her. And she, oh, well, this woman, she goes to Jesus, this Gentile woman, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Matthew tells us in his account, the woman approaches Jesus crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. It's interesting that this Gentile woman addresses Jesus with Messianic Jewish terms. This Gentile woman cries out, O son of David, Lord, son of David. This is a messianic title for their Messiah. Yet here's this Gentile woman identifying Jesus as Lord, son of David. Mark doesn't include this. But up to this point in Mark's gospel account, the only ones who have accurately identified Jesus were the demons. Isn't that interesting? When the demons were encountered Jesus, what do they call him, right? The living one, the holy one of God, the son of God. So it's interesting, here comes this woman. But Matthew tells us that Jesus did not respond to her right away. It was to the point where the disciples asked Jesus to send her away. Matthew says, send, the disciples says, send her away for she is shouting out after us. It got to the point, this woman saying, Jesus, calling out to Jesus, and Jesus is not immediately responding. To the point of the disciples hearing this say, Jesus, can you just send her away? Can you just get rid of her? At first glance, Jesus' response would seem to echo this sentiment. Doesn't this woman know this is for members only? She doesn't have access to Jesus? What does Jesus say? And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now referring to Gentiles as dogs, again, was not a flattering term. Did Jesus refer to this woman as a dog? Many have used this passage to criticize and question Jesus. Isn't this a little bit rude? How can Jesus say this to this woman? Well, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't use the common term referring to a dog. Right? Kuan. It's not the reference to the dog. Rather, he uses uh, another term used for a little dog or a puppy. Now, some commentators think that Jesus is referring not to the the wild dogs out there, but more a domesticated dog that people use as a pet. Some view that Jesus uses this term referencing a puppy, right? Either way, Jesus uses a term that kind of lessens the severity of the situation, of the term. But if also you look in context... Jesus uses this this picture of children and the dog. He uses it to reference a parallel of the need of children to the needs of the pet dog. Would you give food that was for your children to your dog before your child? Would Would you feed your dog before your children? 
Now, some of you have pets. You'll be like, well, maybe, right? You see, some people, they treat their dogs better than their kids sometimes, right? So I don't know about that case, but the point is that you wouldn't meet the needs of your dog before the needs of your own children. What did Jesus mean by saying this to the woman? I see Jesus playing off. He plays off this perceived barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, the perception of the Gentiles being seen as dogs. But his point is not to call this woman, this Gentile, a dog. Jesus already showed that he would heal a Gentile. Go back to Decapolis. Legion. He exercised the demons out, right? So we know it's not because Jesus wouldn't heal a Gentile. We need to keep in mind that Jesus was first sent to the Jews. God's plan of salvation would come through the Jews. He was to first proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God first to the Jews. So thus, let the little children be fed first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and give it to the puppies or the little dogs, right? What we've learned about Jesus, when he speaks to people, he's always one step ahead. He always is aware of the intentions of the people around him. And usually when he speaks, he speaks knowing that he's not just addressing the person, but those who are around him. What does the woman respond? She says, but she answered Jesus, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Now, if you have an inside dog, how many you have an inside dog? Right? If you have an inside dog, those dogs love children in the house, right? You know why? Because when it's dinner time, it's feeding time for them, right? Do you have dogs that when you're eating at the table, they circle the table? Or maybe they sit with the kids, and they look up with those eyes of like, I'm waiting. Can you feed me? Can you drop a little crumbs on the, on the floor for me? Maybe if you had kids, you did this as a kid. You had the food, and there was something you didn't like. You got the food and put your hand under the table. You open it up for your dog. You dropped it for your dogs to eat, right? We probably have all done that or seen that happen. Her response is like, yes, I understand, Lord. But even the dogs have crumbs from the food that was given to the children. The woman's response was very revealing. The woman's response, she knows the conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles, but her response actually indicates great faith. She's not asking for equal treatment. She's not asking to be treated like the other Jewish men. She knows she has no stake in claim of Jesus' attention. She just says, can I just get just a little bit? Can you just give me the scraps? Give me whatever kind of of bleeds out of what is not taken. Can I just have a little bit? That's all I need. I just need a little. How does Jesus respond? He said to her, because of the answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Matthew says in his account, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Mark gives his general reference because of your answer. Matthew adds, 
Jesus recognized her great faith. She had no claim, but she dared to ask Jesus, can I just have the scrape, the scraps, the crumbs, whatever you have left over, can I can just have, I just need a little bit. I just need a little bit. We need to take both of these stories to appreciate the message of what's being presented here, what's being declared. We don't know for certain this deaf man was a Gentile, but he's in a Gentile region. But what Jesus is doing is more than just meeting the needs of individuals. He's presenting a bigger picture with these two accounts. Mark is presenting a bigger picture in these two accounts. This encounter was very much a sign and declaration for the surrounding witnesses who's watching this. What is Jesus doing? Wait a second. This isn't what we normally do. What they saw is Jesus came to break down barriers. He came to break down barriers. He came and he broke down social barriers. The social barriers that that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. He came and engaged with a Gentile woman. Something that was unheard of at the time. And what he's showing is that whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, whatever, you all have value in the eyes of God. The second and most important barrier, Jesus broke down the barrier into the kingdom. It was open for all who believe. It wasn't just for the Jews, like the mindset that they had at the time. They perceived that it was members only. If you were Jewish only, can you enter into the kingdom of God? That was the mentality. But Jesus broke down that barrier, said it's not just for the Jews. What Jesus is doing here, he's foreshadowing and he's declaring not only to the people there, but also to the future church that was to come. In the midst of all the traveling, all the performing, all the miracles, Jesus is setting the stage, not only as him as Messiah, but also setting the stage for the church. He declares the radical message of the kingdom of God. Barriers are going to be broken. We talked about this earlier this morning. People have a tendency to perceive their own group as the best, right? Whether it's race, ethnicity, culture, male, female, whatever it is, we all have this tendency that we want to be the best. You want to be the exclusive. And Jesus came and he broke that all down. He says, it's not about your kingdoms that you make for yourself. It is about the kingdom of God. And Jesus challenged how they viewed and valued people. And we need to learn that lesson. Because culturally, sometimes we tend to want to treat our own culture, our own ethnicity, our own race, or whatever it is, as we're the better of the others. We do it the best way. We are the exclusive. You don't have the members-only jacket like we do. But Jesus said, look, that is not how we see people anymore. 
He's all about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men and how men do it. And Jesus is showing the disciples, he's setting the precedent of what the church will learn and the church struggled with. When the church came together, they struggled with this tension between Jews and Gentiles. It was hard for them to believe that the gospel would be open to the Gentiles. Wait a second. God allowed his grace? He showed his grace to the Gentiles also? Perhaps they failed to recognize what Jesus was doing even in these miracles. Meeting the needs of this Gentile woman. Going across to a Gentile area and touching potentially, possibly, this Gentile man. The kingdom of God is still for members only, but membership is now open to Jews and Gentiles alike. Do you remember when Costco used to be just for business people? And then Costco was open for anyone who applied? And then it was just like, oh, we could go to Costco now? And you go to Costco and you're like, your world has changed, right? Because you're, you're now a member. You can go in. You have all access now. What's the cost of membership? It's not free. It's not free. In fact, the cost is very costly. It is so costly that we could not do it. We can't afford it. We can't afford membership. We can't do it on our own. But what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus paid the cost for this membership. Jesus paid the price so that we can have access to the Father, that we can be part of the kingdom of God. In fact, I use this term membership only, and I don't want to kind of get in trouble, right, perceiving this as membership. Really, it's not about membership. I'm using this metaphor, probably imperfectly, but I'm using it to symbolize it's not really membership. You know what it is? It's more than that. It's entering the family of God. Through Christ's price for us, we become adopted children of God. You can be a member of God's family. That's what Jesus did. He broke down the barriers. It wasn't about what you could do. It's not about what you could earn. You can enter into the kingdom of God. One day we're going to stand before God and he said, we, we, we give this picture, we're going to give him new robes, new, new wardrobe. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to represent his righteousness, his purity, his wholeness. Now that's one that I'm going to want to wear someday. But Jesus broke that down. And what, what a glorious gospel message that is. He came and broke down and said, you and you, can enter the kingdom of God. Do you believe in me? That I paid the price for you. That you can be a member of the family of God. What a blessing. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. And then we see these examples, Lord God. That Jesus, what you did in those moments was radical. Unheard of, unseen in those days. But your message rings loud and clear for us. 
Not only did you change the way we view and value others, but Lord, you made it a way for us to be a member of God's family. We can be a child of God. Lord, I pray that everyone here or anyone who's listening would receive that invitation of faith to believe in you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and as their Savior, and that they may enjoy being a member of God's family. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship.